Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of The Gateway, conversations exploring the intersection of technology, business, and research. This episode is brought to you proudly by the OM and IS department at Northern Illinois University, now offering a completely online master's degree in data analytics. For more information, feel free to visit niu.edu backslash online. Joining me today, Russ Devereaux, is my co-host and friend, Dr. Biagio Police. Biagio, welcome. Ciao, guys. <laughs> How you guys doing? So I'm, I'm super excited about this topic, and, and today we're going to be discussing social media culture, interconnectedness, the, the inherent risks of, of sharing, oversharing, privacy, cybersecurity, all of those different things. So to help us examine this potent and timely topic, we will be speaking with two incredible guests, Arvind Verma and Dr. Tofik Alashore. It's my pleasure now to introduce Arvin, an NIU graduate, so go Huskies, that brings over a decade of experience in a multitude of cyber facets, including information assurance, risk management, and IT innovation. During his vibrant career, Arvin has worked across numerous industries and for several Fortune 500 companies. Currently, Arvin is a cyber risk manager at Abbott, while also serving the U.S. Navy Reserves as a direct commission officer as a crypto logic warfare officer, which Arvin, I think is probably one of the coolest titles ever. So I'm, I'm really excited just to know that. So um, thanks for joining us, Arvin. Yajio. And our other guest is Dr. Topic Alashore, which is an assistant professor at Copenhagen Business School Department of Digitalization. So first of all, thank you to Topic to be here with us at 10 p.m. at night talking about this stuff. His research focuses on privacy, decision-making, and cybersecurity. Uh, he conducts behavioral experiments and uses economics and psychology theories to study human and privacy decisions. It is specifically study why humans share personal information despite their privacy-preserving preferences. Uh, Dr. Alashore, research potential and quality resulted in different awards received by um, prestigious IS, so information system organization and publication. It's, it's very great to have these two guests and just can't wait for this conversation. Perfect. So let's just jump right in. I, I want to start kind of broad and, and maybe as, as our conversation grows, um, we'll, we'll be able to get into some deeper elements of this stuff. But for, for both of you and, and um, Tufik, if, if we want to start with you, just kind of where are you coming from when, when we think about privacy, security, all of that stuff, what is that definition for you? What does that mean to you? We starting with me? Yes, sir, please. All right, great, thanks. Uh, well, first, thank you for inviting me um, to this uh, podcast. Um, when I think about cybersecurity, it's, uh, it's two things, right? Security and, and, and privacy. Um, these two things are very much related to each other, but they're still distinct from each other. Uh, when, I, when I think about the definition to me personally, and this is uh, based on research and um, uh, studies that we have in this domain, security is about protecting information against danger. So if we take that simple definition, security is about protecting personal or organizational information, any kind of information or information asset against danger. Privacy is about protecting that information against intrusion or unauthorized access that may or may not lead to danger. So privacy is kind of the uh, core fundamental thing that could lead to a security incident. Um, if we think about privacy and cybersecurity from uh, like in-depth, uh, I can elaborate more on that, um, but we'll keep the conversation going and we'll get there. Perfect. I like that definition. Arvin, do you have anything to add on that one? Because I know you kind of come from a, a little bit of a different side. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. Uh, standard disclaimer, uh, everything that I am going to be speaking about is uh, my own opinions, does not represent the Department of Defense, Department of Navy, Abbott, and the other various groups, standard legalese. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with uh, the comments made. You know, I'm going to add a little more caveat to that where 
you know, within cyber, we operate under the aspect of the CIA triad, so confidentiality, availability, and integrity. And that's really the bare bone foundation where we kind of see the intersection between security and, and privacy enter. But it really comes down to security being this very broad aspect in terms of how are we operating in this digitally connected age? Uh, how are we, you know, say passwords or uh, information security policies, right? Privacy is just one small component that plays into a bigger picture, uh, but both are equally important. And, you know, and now that we're in this large digitally connected age, we have a, a lot of information, social security numbers, we're conducting millions upon millions of transactions with our credit card data, all this data is out there. And, you know, if we're not you can implement all these security controls in place, but if you don't have the appropriate limitations on that, aka privacy, all that technology is is up to waste. You know, this is why we say people are the weakest link um, when it comes to uh, implementing security programs. You know, you can you can do as much as you can, but there will always be that breaking point. So that's why it's very critical that we understand privacy in this as well, in addition to security. So then I want to jump on that a little bit more because both of you talked about danger and, and all of that stuff. I understand inherently, just because of my own personal experiences, when I walk across the street, I need to look both ways because there's the threat of a car coming. It, for me, it's always been a, like, I know that my privacy, my data, all of that stuff, there's danger out there. But to, to like actually quantify that and say, okay, this is exactly what's going to happen. It's always been a little bit different. Can you guys maybe elaborate on what those dangers really are out there? What, what potentially is being risked when we're participating in these environments? Yeah. Uh, should I go first? Yeah, please. I can add on to it as well. Okay. Um, that's a difficult question. Uh, because the this danger is potential, is is probabilistic, meaning that it may or may not happen. The probability of it happening is considered very low, but when it happens, the consequences are very much high uh, in terms of impact. Um, so uh, it's 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 crazy because now I'm trying to wrap. Of, you know, and uh, one example, but it's happening all the time. And that is the problem uh, or the difficulty uh, for me to answer that question. Because if we think about it, imagine that there is a data broker, there's many of them, thousands of thousands uh, out there, data brokers, who are just ready to uh, gather uh, valuable data sets. So if there is one data set, and then, and then they gather another data set, another data set, they'll buy it or trade it, and then they'll combine and, and make a whole profile about one, uh, about people, let's just say that. And, and then uh, I, that data broker can monetize that data set by selling it to someone or a company that is interested in using that data set, giving that they know that some of those objects in that data set, and by objects, I mean people here, are actually customers or users of some services that they provide. So now they will get extra information about the, those users and they'll be more able to, um, let's say, send them targeted ads or um, modify their insurance uh, rate or uh, you know the, the offers they give to them uh, so I'm just giving a very generic example because I don't want to use one specific company, uh, you know, within this context. But that's what happens. So if if I know so much about you as a human, I I know how, what's your willingness to pay, you know, money. How much you're willing to pay, and and uh, how much you're willing to receive because I I know some uh, attributes about you as a human, and that helps me predict your uh, future behavior or decision, you know, buying, purchasing decision. So in that case, if I know enough about you, I can uh, actually, uh, you know, adjust, uh, for instance, 
the price of, of, of a good that I'm trying to sell to you. Because I know you'd be more willing to buy that if I presented it in a certain format. So that's the risk. So some people are okay with that. Uh, when I teach cybersecurity, I, I try not to consider that as a risk all the time because it's not really risk all the time. It's what, what people need to know is being aware of that fact that is happening. And then you decide for yourself if it's if you're okay with it or not. You know, you're you're as a human, you're being like juggled by uh, multiple organizations, companies. So if you're okay with that, it's okay. Just be aware of that fact. It is happening. So so let me jump in this. So so basically, what you're saying is, uh, you know, data. Your data is money, and you know, a company can gather your data and then disseminate among other people. So, you know, when something that everybody of us does is download the application and because they, they can be useful for helping us throughout the day and doing different action. But by doing this download of this application, if we are not aware of what, what their terms policy is, uh, we might not know that those people are sending those data to, you know, third party potential uh, companies they are aware of. So what you're saying is, uh, you know, be careful with this kind of stuff because your data might be all over the world and uh, they, you need to be careful of what you're sharing with that, right? I think the data is already out there, right? right. So the data is already out there and uh, I don't even use sometimes the word be careful, be aware, I think is the most neutral word to use in here. Be aware of this is happening. You're being traded. Your, your data is being traded all the time. Be aware of that, you, whether or not you like it, it's happening. So you can adjust your future privacy behavior. And that's what you can do if you are very much concerned about uh, but, your data. But do you think, so I, I, I totally agree with that. I, but do you think like if Apple has those data, right? It's the same thing of, you know, a, a new app that has 100 downloads that you don't know who is even is the producer, right? That's that's probably the point I was trying to make, right? So when you download an app, yeah, it will help you. The, the company might be able to get the data, but who is producing the app? Uh, it, it can be a difference, right? Because Apple is pretty good. I would say, Arvin, Arvin might, might give more perspective, but I think some company do much better job in dealing with our data than other companies, right? So I think where we're going down now is the path of regulated versus unregulated data, right? A lot of the data that we're seeing uh, being exploited is non-regulated data. So it's those data attributes that explain our behavior, our various activities, uh, a lot of it, you know, as we're seeing is from, you know, Facebook or Twitter or, or those type of mechanisms. There really hasn't been put any type of legislation or requirement uh, that, that prevents that. That's why we're seeing those behaviors uh, being, uh, being performed. And that's why we're seeing that data being sold because data has value. And, and, and like it was said, uh, can be used to monetize uh, for from the marketing of a product. Um, if we're now going into regulated data, it's a little different story. Uh, there, there's actual consequences. There are, you know, individuals can can receive damages out of it. So that's where the bigger question comes in: is do we go ahead and work with our politicians, our elected officials, and say we need to? change the construct of what data is and what does it mean about a particular individual and how it's being utilized to sufficiently protect it. Here's the downside. Organizations don't want to do it because it costs time and effort on their side to uh, get in, in alignment with that. Uh, many, many years ago, I was in Springfield, Illinois, speaking to the Cybersecurity Analytics Committee about implementing a law for the state of Illinois that would protect uh, the use of financial data uh, as it was being utilized and would ensure that in the event that any of this data uh, suffered uh, a breach or was released with unauthorized uh, intention, uh, the, the Illinois residents could pursue damages against that particular organization. Unfortunately, the bill did not pass, um, primarily due to the lobbyists and second, in my opinion, the lack of understanding by our elected officials of how 
lethal uh, these these cyber attacks can be and how this data can be utilized. Where it's, I, I say that, you know, there's a quote I, I use quite extensively. Um, it's by uh, Robert Mueller. There are two types of companies, those that have been hacked and those that will be. You know, it's just going to keep on getting worse and worse. We saw it with SolarWinds. We, you know, I just saw something about Ikea uh, suffering a, a breach. Um, and then, you know, the Spacecom commander, he, uh, and it's funny because I'm actually a, on a Space Force base right now where they were talking about how satellites are now getting getting hacked. You know, we're seeing this more and more and more. The, the issue is we're not taking action and we're not taking the right action. And what is that breaking point going to be? And, and it's interesting, you know, being in uniform is we look at it from a lethality perspective. At one point, is that lethality going to be defined? And when are we going to hit that point? Uh, for, for us in cyber, our perspective is, first goal is health and human safety. It's not about technical controls. You know, that, that's, you know, a lot of people think that's a, that's a crazy idea, but rule number one, you got to make sure individuals are safe uh, and we're not impacting them. And this goes back to, you know, the, the crux of the equation is, have we defined that? And we, we haven't. And, you know, that's what's resulting in a lot of these behaviors is we're allowing this type of activity to occur. And it's going to get to that point where it's being used in a way that's going to start targeting individuals, uh, say, with certain health conditions. Uh, so say if they're browsing a certain prescription medication and it's for um, preventing a heart attack. Now, how to utilize that and go into, say, a disinformation campaign or uh, begin flooding their, um, you know, their, uh, say, their YouTube page with um, a competitor medication that may not be as effective, right? Now you're going into a potential implication of uh, killing someone. And we, it, it's just that that has not been realized. And I mean, this is going a little bit off a tangent, but you know, I think that's where we see that, that connection between privacy, security, and real world application. And, and that's really missing from a lot of, the, uh, a lot of the, the components and work that we're trying to do in this space. So, so when you're both talking about what I would say is real world threats within this stuff, is it reasonable to, to say that we're going to see cyber attacks, hacking, whatever we want to call that stuff, actually impact the, the physical world much more in the, in the future? Is that, is that like a real thing or is that still just hey that's sci-fi that that's movies that that's ways away and i just have to worry about my social security number not being posted on facebook it's already happened uh we there were two specific cyber attacks against hospitals where they suffered ransomware and uh as a result of that because they couldn't operate two individuals died now, for what I do at Abbott, uh, my job is primarily securing uh, a lot of our manufacturing, uh, ICS, industrial control system, operational technology capabilities, which is quite different from typical corporate IT. Uh, we're producing products that individuals consume. We are making devices that people use to uh, check their blood sugar. We are, uh, you know, we make the COVID tests. So it's very, very precise that we, we get what we're doing right. And if we see an impact to our operations and something gets tainted, it's not going to look good for us. Same thing when I was, was at PepsiCo. It's a little different cultural gap there because uh, at Pepsi, we're selling chips and soda. So there's not so much of a realization to impact as, as much as I hate to say it, but um, similar concept, you know, there's also intellectual property, there's, there's value tied to that work that's been built in. So how are we protecting that? How are we protecting our brand? But at the end of the day, how are we ensuring that we're able to deliver a quality product that serves its purpose to, to our customers uh, without uh, imparting any damage to them? And Twiffy, I want to I want to pull you in on this one because now, like I said, we're we're talking about real impacts in here, and and your research, your background is studying decision making and technology, how how that's adjusting it. Do you know? Is this even a reasonable question? When we may start to adjust our behavior, or will the allure of 
TikTok famous and social media, you know, followers and all that stuff pull us that we're perfectly fine taking that risk because, well, it's the easiest way to, to become recognized. Um, I'll give you an example of an experiment we've run so many times. So we bring us a set of people, a number of people, we ask them uh, a number of questions. Uh, what is your gender? What is your year of birth? What is your favorite book? What is your favorite TV show? Do you use uh, a common password for your uh, online accounts? Just the answer is just yes or no. We don't ask for password or anything, but that's a sensitive question. You can, you can sense it. Uh, the questions involve financial stuff like how many bank accounts you have. It's not what is your bank accounts, just how many. We, it's, a, it's, it's an indicator that helps us uh, tell whether that person has a lot of money or not, whether basically from a social engineer perspective, whether that person is of interest to us or not. So these simple indicators can help uh, a social engineer uh, narrow down the target, right? By if they answer those questions. So going back to the experiment, a number of people received these questions and the, the, uh, to answer, there's either yes or no or a box. So there's a box they enter the, the, the information if they want to. And they could skip, but we don't tell them you can skip these questions. It's a study, right? So they're participating in a research study. Um, and we understand if some people skip those questions, some of them are very sensitive. Well, the other group of people, we ask the same exact questions, except that we provide, uh, we make them more aware by giving them one more choice that says, I prefer not to provide this piece of information. That's it. Same exact, the same, same questions. The only difference is that choice. And what happens as we predicted and everyone would predict that if you saw that choice, you're more likely to click on that choice and not provide that information. Although you were able to skip that question in, uh, you know, in the other condition. And what that tells us is humans, at least uh, during this age, we always see significant difference about six data points on average five to six data points just because individual out, out let's say out of 20 questions um, six questions would be answered more by those who did not receive this simple nudge which is I prefer not to answer this question I ran this experiment so many times um, in the US in the UK with my students uh, even here in Denmark and, and it, it always works. And what that means is uh, humans would probably not provide that information if they were aware. And so imagine this is an experiment. So this, the people were randomly assigned to these two conditions, one of these two conditions. And therefore, if they were placed randomly in that condition in which they received that, I prefer not to provide this information, they're gonna click on that for some question. But just because they were randomly assigned to that condition where they did not have this choice, they gave that piece of information. And that tells us something fundamental about human behavior when it comes to privacy decisions. And now here it comes to uh, the social engineer perspective as I started with. So imagine there is a social engineer out there running, uh, you know, using a camouflage or whatever. And this is the study. Uh, can you please answer these questions? And uh, it's, a, it's a simple technique that they could use and they target, of course, they'll collect more in the back end of that survey, you can collect metadata, you know, IP location extra. You don't even need to go to social media to identify their, their location. You can get that, uh, you know, latitude and, and everything. In, in, the, in the back end of that uh, survey tool. So there are things that could go are a little scary, but when you're aware uh, you know, of these things, you're less likely to fall uh, prey to um, you know, the bad guys.
that's it, it reminds me of the old like frog in in the boiling water you know like we we all yeah. kind of come up with this exactly. and it's okay it's okay it's okay until all of a sudden no now all my data is out there everything's there it's, is that something like that is, if we just this is this is very relevant to what uh, there's a Harvard uh, professor called Shoshana Zuboff. I think that's how her name is pronounced. And she wrote about surveillance capitalism. So she was talking about the frog, exactly the same thing. We just woke up uh, learning that Google, Facebook, etc. They were able to utilize this uh, new oil and, 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 and we are now living in a surveillance capitalism uh, or capitalistic surveillance capitalistic society where there is a behavioral data surplus. These companies have, have that surplus of knowing our behaviors and therefore they can predict our future behaviors and therefore they can intervene to uh, achieve some objectives that they have, uh, whether these objectives are good or bad for us or for them, but they have this capability of, of uh, predicting our future behavior. And we were the frogs, as you said. So it, that experiment is actually a very good metaphor. Well, and then Arvind, I, I wanna, I kind of wanna switch along the lines with this one because I think it, at least a common thread within privacy, I hear in, in conversations a lot is that idea that, well, I don't have anything to hide. Like, why do I care about that if I have nothing to hide? Um, is that like, stereotypically that argument goes, well, I'm not doing anything illegal. I'm not a criminal. I, I'm fine. Like, I don't really care about that. Is, is that a justifiable position to have? Does that, is that where we should be? Or is that kind of misguided? I, I think it's misguided, but then again, it's always in the eye of the beholder, right? They're not, they're going to say that up until they're actually put in a situation where they do have something to hide or they do have something that they need to protect, right? Um, when I was in Springfield, I, I asked the committee, I said, who here has suffered uh, an identity theft situation? One, one uh, rep raised her hand and she said it was pretty mild. And I said, describe mild. They said, oh, they just got one of my email addresses and were sending fake emails. You know, she didn't think that was impactful, but, but it is impactful. And then I, I told them my story where they took my social, they got into my bank account, they took everything. And then I also told them I found the guy in five minutes, but that's, that's a different story. But um, that's where it comes to the realization part, because yeah, you might not have anything to hide, but there, there's going to be an impact. So say, for example, you have, so like Kim Kardashian, right? So I know everyone loves talking about her. She has a personal brand associated with her. So she's able to do this and I'm not hiding anything. Well, how easy would it be to um, utilize deep fake and, and do something that is malicious in nature to destroy that brand? That that's where the question is: How is that being? How is that data being utilized to doing something malicious to hurt or impact the individual in a negative way to drive a certain uh, reaction or response? That's why deep fake uh, disinformation campaigns. That's why it's a very very big topic uh, right now uh, within the cyber community, and it's very very tough. I was actually just having this conversation with a few folks here as well. You know, how do you identify individuals and how do you stop it? And my opinion is you can't because it goes into, into realms of the constitution and free speech. Now, you know, it's not as extreme as yelling fire in a crowded theater, right? But it's it still falls into those provisions up until the point where it does become shouting fire in a, in a crowded theater. So this will be a battle that we we face for, for many, many years, but, um, and if someone says I don't have anything to hide, they have something to hide. They're just they're just saying it just to make themselves feel better. <laughs> yeah, I, I could say that all day long, but I don't want people looking at what I buy on Amazon. You know, like no, that's. The... <laughs> but but, is... but to be honest, to be honest, even if you don't have anything to hide, if those, I mean, if if you provide information out there, people might know stuff about your behaviors. You know, you can have. 
they can, they can know that you are on vacation and then there might be somebody coming to your house while you are away. If you keep sharing with a public Instagram profile, right? You, you might just incur on simple stuff like this one, which, which are not huge consequences like, like Arvin is saying, but, but in the same times, you are just compromising uh, something about yourself. Is, I, for I example, have a point for me, on this. Uh, go ahead. Sorry to, sorry to cut you off. Um, like for me, you know, with some of the work that I do, yes, I have a clearance. You know, it's part of my job. I've, I've had to declare everything to the government in order to get that. So um, that's a little different, but that's just because of the nature of work and, and the type of activities that I'm performing. Um, and they still will occasionally check in that, but with that, there are still provisions. Like I still have a LinkedIn, I still have a Facebook, I still have um, my, my Instagram, you know, but it's with caution and awareness of what you're posting. Like um, I, I, I was going to post something on Twitter earlier today um, over a situation that occurred to me this past week. Uh, and it was going to go to an, uh, an elected official, but then I thought, okay, well, what are the repercussions of this? after I do this, right? And that's where a lot of, I'm, I'm very interested in looking into the emotional side of where cyber is going and why individuals are doing that. And that has really been a big eye opener in terms of how data be, is, is being pushed out, how data is being received, uh, how it's being effectively utilized to misconstrue a certain opinion, certain message. It's like, you know, the game telephone, after seven, eight people, the message gets so misconstrued, you don't even understand what its true intent is. So, you know, it, it's interesting to look at it from the psychological point, but that's really where it starts. It's, it's people. Everything is, is based on people and emotion. You, uh, Arvin, you mentioned uh, freedom of speech, right? So this is very relevant to, I have nothing to hide. Uh, I want to go back to that because there's a famous quote by Edward Snowden. Uh, uh, it goes this way, arguing that you don't care about the right to privacy because you have nothing to hide is no different than saying you don't care about free speech because you have nothing to say. So it's, uh, it's even beyond just freedom of speech. So if you have nothing to hide, that's okay. You don't have to hide it. But the problem is you're compromising. So there's something that Biagio were referring to is autonomy, control over your future behaviors. And, and, and we as humans, we, even, we are even, we're debating whether we have free will or not. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the deepest philosophical scientific questions, whether we actually have control over, the, over decisions that we make uh, on a daily basis. The problem from a privacy perspective is if we actually have some freedom or free will, that is gonna be minimized uh, to a large extent if we keep sharing more and more because the cues around us are going to contribute more and, and much more to the decisions that we make. So imagine you walk into a Walmart or any store and imagine that store knows your favorite color. Imagine now this is a digital world, you know, metaverse and you're just shopping around. And then, and that store, digital store knows enough about you that you love these colors. So, and they want to sell you stuff. So they're gonna use that color more often to influence your uh, buying behavior. So this is how it can minimize humans control uh, along, uh, you know, in, in the future. The more we think about it, the less free will humans will have. And that's the big problem of AI or we shift, us shifting to, uh, you know, um, cyborg. Uh, I have no problems with that, but this is the explanation uh, to, to this situation. So both of you are, are addressing kind of, I think this conversation is touching around and I think it, it's only a matter of time until it goes to 
the elements of, of a government level when it comes to privacy as well. Like I know there's there's bad actors out there. There are those those criminal elements and, and black hat hatters and, and hackers and all that stuff. But so when when we're talking about new technologies and and new ways to maybe even attack go beyond the offensive or to prevent uh, an attack against us. Um, I think it's really common, at least from our Western civilization and or maybe even more of an American kind of a power based belief that, you know, that's a good thing. And if we're using it against other people, that's perfectly fine. You know, if these are if these are bad actors, we should go to it. But then I, then I start to get kind of conflicted when you see a lot of a lot of that stuff then start to trickle into our own lives. And, and our own things and, and those different elements there that now something that might have been used in, in a war zone is also being used at a given protest or something like that. Where, how do we figure out free will, freedom, rights within a society while also still knowing that we may be utilizing those, those very same techniques against other people that then start to impact us? Am I going? Yeah, that's that's a that's a tough question. Um, <laughs> it's kind of going into uh, it, it goes into an area where a lawyer would be best able to answer it uh, from a layman's term perspective because once again we have the constitution. A lot, you know, uh, you know, we look at China and Russia; they're based on communism, so much different perspective. Uh, I'll try to answer as high level as possible um, and without going into too much detail in, in the offensive side of it as well, because uh, then if I tell you I have to kill you, <laughs> there's some truth to that actually, but uh, thanks Arvin, that's going to make me uh, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. Um, we have the Constitution which allows us freedoms and liberties uh, to do as we please to a certain extent. But it also comes down to how are we defending our interests and how are we defending our country to ensure there's no impact to this idea we call democracy. That's at a high level is the best way we can explain it. If you know we have a, a Chinese or Russian adversary not like what we're doing, my opinion is they are entitled to do that because that's what we believe. But when it be, when it starts going down to a path where they need to resort to a kinetic form of warfare, then, then it changes. Then, then, then the perspective changes because now you're taking, and, and what I consider cyber is a non-kinetic form of, of warfare. You can do damage, but it's not, it's not currently at the moment, not direct. Once it becomes a direct impact, then, then the, then the game changes dramatically. And We've realized that to a certain extent, but we're also not at that level where it's having that level of impact, where we're seeing power and utilities getting impacted. We're seeing our water systems getting impacted. We're seeing um, mass pandemonium and havoc. We're not seeing, you know, if a lot of you are gamers and Call of Duty, you know, they have the um, the the little mini video where it shows that they've uh, the Russians have spoofed uh, some of the radar systems and they have the the Russians coming in from the East Coast and West Coast. You know, we're not at that level yet, but we are aware of it. And I think right now it's more on our politicians doing what they, they get paid to do, which is managing that level before it gets to that uh, extremism where we see that kinetic warfare. The other side of it is we're seeing this economic impact resulting out of it. So with, with China, right, we are in competition. There's, there's uh, this topic called the um, great power competition. So this is really where we've shifted a lot of the war fighting efforts from the CENTCOM, uh, Afghanistan, Iraq area. And we're now looking at the buildup in the China and Russia area. Um, and you can Google this, you know, the Navy has put out a lot of paperwork on this really interesting read if you want to look into it. But we're seeing this large economic 
growth from these countries, and that's fine. But when it's becoming to impact under what we call the rules of, you know, a good example of this is in the Navy, we, uh, there's a UN law called Law of the Sea, right? And I'm sure a lot of you have seen where now uh, the Chinese government is saying that any ship that passes through the Taiwanese Strait has to declare itself what it's doing and whatnot. Well, technically that is in violation of the law of the sea. So we're seeing that limitation because of this aspect of control. And what, you know, my opinion is we're seeing China do a lot of these activities so they can make control, grow their economy and, and get up to a level where they're able to go into that kinetic form of, of warfare, you know, in my opinion. Um, but really that's what it comes down to. It's more about driving that nation state activity that helps promote what their efforts are that's leading to a lot of these, uh, these resulting actions and a lot of these behaviors that we're seeing. Because before it was just, you know, one or two people or um, these hacking groups, anonymous, um, you know, they were doing things, but they were doing it to send a message, right? They were trying to promote a social agenda. Here, it's now more about driving uh, a country's economic growth and ability to, once again, in my opinion, drive intimidation to other countries to say, hey, we're a force uh, to be reckoned with. You know, do you really want to go down this path? So um, mixing a little bit of the, you know, civilian private sector economic side with the military side, but it, it's a very, very tough question. Um, I know a lot of individuals I'm talking to both, you know, at various three-letter agencies, private sector, public sector, we don't know. And we won't know until after it happens, unfortunately. Um, you know, the talks I'm having with FBI and DHS CISA, it's, you know, we get these situations that occur, but we don't know how to respond to them because sometimes it's the first time we've seen it. And then the FBI's jurisdiction only, it only goes so far. And then is the UN going to pursue the, uh, the criminal complaint? No, because they don't have the laws defined either. Looks like my lights went out. One sec. This is what happens when, you know, you start talking about but yeah we're getting hacked <laughs> like someone's listening uh, so like, i i want to i want to jump to you then on this one because i i think this kind of goes to to where you're at a little bit more but within all of these conversations then what is what is the future of privacy what what does that look like should we just kind of throw our hands up and, and accept it and say, this is what it is and, and start living with our locations on constantly and our video cameras on because it, 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 there, there's no point or what does that look like in, in your opinion? Thanks for the tough question. Uh, <laughs> so this, this relates to your previous question too. Uh, so there's two big broad domains that could help uh, how we move forward from an ethical perspective. You brought ethics, so I think, so there's trade-off, you know, the greater common good or, you know, is there benefit versus cost? And therefore I I, I, try, I, I, I would reveal my data if, if the benefit outweighs the cost uh, in the short uh, term or in the long term regardless, but the concept is, is a trade-off. The other thing is, the ontology, right? So there's there's principles. Uh, um, Kant. So if we go to ethics constitution, there's you know a policy that you follow, and that's it. Uh, or the trade-off. So there's two things, and and I think I don't think um, we have an answer to that question, at least me. But what I'm thinking is it's changing. So the concept of privacy is going through a revolutionary change. And, and I'll just give you an indicator and that will hopefully help uh, our audience a little bit to have a bigger perspective on privacy, which is ownership. When we think about privacy, we think about ourselves. It's not that anymore. And now privacy is not only yours. If you're, at, if you're carrying a phone, even not using it, the phone is recording 
uh, your your movements and uh, it's it's recording when you sleep. It's, it's it's it has those indicators and with high accuracy, and therefore you're actually you are not fully private all the time, even if you're staying within your uh, house. As long as you have some technologies that are digitalizing some stuff from that house, uh, we can make some inferences about your behaviors. And, and therefore, because you allowed that technology to be in your life, the personal data that you generate every day through your uh, body motion or through your um, um, writing or th just speaking. This is personal data that is being generated by humans. When it's shared, when it's out, it's not, you know, it's not all, it's not personal anymore. It is personal and it's also shared. It's owned, co-owned by that technology provider that is able to uh, quantify or, or, or collect or record capture that data. So ownership, though, when you reveal something on social media, it doesn't mean that's your data. Facebook provided some service to you to host that piece of information that you posted in there. So they have the power uh, or at least the negotiation power to say, I co-own this data. And we, most of us signed that uh, policy already a long time ago. So we actually, they were proactive in that sense. We were not as users. And, 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 and I'm not saying that we should go and read. It's, it's unbelievable. I don't think people should go and read these policies. It's, it's definitely not a recommendation. Uh, I think there, it's a flawed practice. Consent form is a flawed practice uh, as we, uh, in the current format, it's, it's not working. And that's a big uh, pro problem, practical problem that needs to be solved in this domain. Um, I think I branched around, but ownership is the point that I wanted to bring up here. Um, that whatever we share is is co-owned by so many parties now. Not only Facebook, there's like a bunch of uh, data brokers, especially. Um, so, so, so where where privacy is going is go is I, I think the answer is gone through uh, some changes. We will adapt to it. And, and if we think about security from the past thousands of years ago, security, if we think about physical security, it took humans so many years to become civilized and then figure out a structure, a system to secure individuals. You know, when you go out walking, you don't look all the time. You're secure to some extent, but we're not 100% secured. In the digital world, we want to do that within what, 20, uh, 30 years? It's almost impossible. We we need more time to figure out this uh, notorious problem. Um, it's it's just new. So we're going through these changes, and hopefully for the best. Sorry, Biagio. Uh, no, 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 no. I was I was jumping to this because I'm I'm a big you know I'm a big fan of technology. I love technology. I, I love that we are in a connected world, but. You know this this ownership things you're talking about is now that I think about it. You know I have Apple Watch, I have smart devices in my house. So I talk with my TV, talk with my thermostat. Uh, my Amazon Echo might be on and might listening to what I'm saying. I mean it comes to the realization where uh, like I'm I'm a private person. I don't share much on social media. But when you were talking, thinking about it, what you were saying is like. I'm not that private as I think because uh, you know I I share a lot through these smart devices, this Internet of Things, that you know uh, network that we're living in, and so so my question would be, what what is what can we do uh, to to go back to a little bit more privacy or a little bit more security in in that sense? Because do we need to you know stop using this technology? Do we need to stop using this application? Uh, I mean, how do we move our heads around this. I, I love all the benefits of it. <laughs> so that's why I'm probably willing to do it, but huh, huh. how? These were designed with convenience, right? It was designed with the intent of making lives easier, but we didn't think about security because it was an afterthought. It's, it's like now what we're seeing with 5G. 4G uh, and LTE was designed for a specific purpose and then it started getting exploited. Now we're seeing 5G, which has the embedded encryption, 
embedded security capabilities. So we need to reevaluate these smart devices and how we protect that information to um, have it embedded, have that cultural of security so that we're able to do it. I mean, I'm here, you know, almost seven, you know, a couple thousand miles away from, from Chicago and I'm able to see if my garage is open or closed, you know, that's really convenient for me, but if someone goes in and, and breaks into my, um, my account, because it's all username and password based, they could go in and, you know, get in there and, and access it. Now, you know, the, the vendor I have, they've added some controls in there that make it difficult, but it's, if you put enough time and effort, you can do it. But now we go back to the whole incentivizing part, right? If we're making ourselves a smaller target online, the adversaries are gonna focus their attention on those who are making themselves big targets. That's why you're seeing a lot of these fake accounts being made on, on Instagram, uh, fake accounts on Twitter, things like that. It's because it's, it's, they're trying to target and deviate the attention from the authentic individual, authentic activity into something that's not authentic. So it comes on, how do you reduce your, your threat exposure? And I think you, you know what you're doing by um, kind of limiting your, your external exposure is helping, but it's also a lot of that stuff is still somewhat contained. You know, quite, you could go in and, and ask like, how is my data being utilized you know, under GDPR and some of those considerations. Um, but that, once again, now, now we're kind of stepping into, you know, techn technological side versus the the legalities you know Europeans they did GDPR which I get it but it was such a mess for us here stateside but you know if we have something like that here you know for the country I think that would be one step in the right direction but there are some individuals in Washington who believe that that's going to um, reduce the ability to do free trade and reduce capitalism but we're we're not going to go down down that path. There there is a going to your question Biagio, uh it's so you're saying what should we do uh i think it's important that that humans define what privacy means to them personally before they know what to do right so maybe it's okay for some people that they share all, all of this and they get the convenient uh service for others maybe it's not so uh, humans need to understand their personalized or personal privacy calculus is in this domain we would call a calculus you know you're you're out, you're weighing the cost against the benefit when you make these decisions and so the the the, the issue is we don't know what privacy is to us and if we don't know what it is then uh, it's hard to actually know what we're gonna do about it. We don't have a concrete definition of what privacy is. And that go, goes back to when Arvin was talking about the CIA, confidentiality, integrity, availability, that's cybersecurity 101 uh, principle. And, and the first one, C, confidentiality, that's the, he, the biggest overlap between privacy and security. So we wanna keep the data intact from any um, unauthorized uh, access. Uh, and that's how you secure information uh, in the first place. Uh, but going back to the definition of security versus privacy, we were talking about danger, right? So we wanna minimize the danger. That's the ultimate goal. You wanna minimize danger, risk. And, 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 and so securing privacy or, or protecting personal data or privacy, if it is helping you minimize potential risk, then probably you should protect that personal data. If it has nothing to do, it's actually, uh, it's, it's, it's probably, for instance, if we take a, put, put this in a context, if I share something on social media, oh, yes, I'm increasing the risk of someone collecting a lot of information about me. But if that, that piece of information I'm sharing is gonna give me a lot of benefit, for instance, my friends are gonna react to it, uh, uh, my family, they need to know this. So there's a lot of social benefit in here and psychological benefit that I get reactions, I get, uh, you know, interaction socially. Uh, so now if the benefit is more than the cost, right? If, if that is the case, then maybe it's okay. So we need to understand this calculus 
and, and how it works. The, the problem, the problem I have with that uh, topic, I think is that's, that's where, you know, this social media popularity and stuff like that. So, so a lot of people are not aware that like they posting something that heals to a lot of likes, a lot of popularity, but then, you know, in the long run, we will be the consequences. Internet will not forget what you just shared. It can be like some stupid that you did. And, you know, in 20 years, the company that is interviewing you, yeah, you are that guy. Right. So I see the benefits, but you know, the cost might not be in the short run. So the benefits may be higher, yeah. but in the long run, it can be a completely different type of story. And you know, TikTok, Instagram, all this, you know, creators economy kind of uh, platform, that's that's the scary part, right? Is uh short run versus long run benefits and yeah. absolutely. That's uh, acknowledged uh, that privacy decisions have that short, like immediate gratification, but then yeah. the cost is in the future. Uh, the, the, this, is, this is not only a privacy issue, it's everything, right? Health, if you eat some like delicious meal, but it's not healthy, you eat it because it's the, the <laughs> gratification is immediate, but the cost comes in the future. Uh, so it's not only a privacy issue, it's it, we face this, uh, a lot in other contexts. And I think we're moving in the right direction of, of, of finding a balance uh, in this specific domain. Ross, you're, I think you're- Thank you. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, I, I know we're getting close on time. So I, I kind of want to kind of group this whole whole conversation together. And it actually comes from a question from, from our audience. What, what are, what are some tips, common sense things that the everyday person can do to, or should be doing to increase that that privacy? I, I know, you know, getting a, a lawyer and, and trying to get your GDPR and all that stuff, that's a great thing, but I don't think many people are. So, you know, both of you come from very strong backgrounds in this stuff. What are those things that maybe we all can can take away and do right before a busy shopping season, at least here in, for most people in America? Yeah, so one thing that I've done on every single device that I own is um, I've installed uh, Adblock and there's another um, add-on for a lot of you know browsers like Chrome or Firefox that actually block um, external data feeds going out. And it gives you the opportunity to actually find and see what they are and where that data is going. So that's been one way I've been able to really lock down a lot of uh, this information. Uh, second thing is, uh, you know, once you've done this long enough, you can kind of tell if a site's truly suspicious or not, but make sure when you're looking at a site that it says HTTPS and you have uh, SSL encryption while you're doing those activities. VPN is nice, but, you know, I, I had this issue with my dad where he, um, he got some VPN provider that was on the TV for his company. And when he told me, I said, you realize they have a concentrator in China, right? So all your stuff is now going to China and it's going to be stolen. Um, so VPN has its place, but you have to utilize the right vendor, which has the right services um, within U.S. soil, because that's where it'll be protected. Um, you know, another thing you can do is instead of typing your passwords, um, you know, they say use multiple passwords. I'm guilty of using the same password multiple times, but um, I have a password manager, specifically uh, LastPass. I don't endorse brands, but I, I utilize LastPass, and that's been able to uh, securely store a lot of my passwords um, in a vault. And, you know, combined with a lot of these activities, I've been able to secure a lot of the activity that I uh, do with my activity, uh, my online activity. Then there's, you know, the craziness that steps in where you're actually firewalling your home network, you're hiding your, your Wi-Fi. You know, I take it a little bit to the extreme, but, um, you know, one of my my industry colleagues and good friends and mentor, uh, Dave Oxsmith, you know, he spent years at Microsoft doing cyber. And, you know, he had a very interesting perspective on passwords. He said, uh, it's okay to write your passwords down, but don't just leave it lying around on the table. Like actually put it like in a locked cabinet so you're not making it blatantly obvious. So I hate to say use common sense because not everybody has common sense, but be smart about your decisions and what you're doing. Be be aware, um, but don't go with the state of paranoia. I mean, I, I live in that state of paranoia, but it's because of what I do and, and who I work with. So I, I have to take those actions. Um, 
but for for the 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 regular person um just following some of those basic practices being vigilant being aware um if you have to post something post the bare minimum uh but be smart about it you'll be fine you know a lot of these companies are building a lot of these secure capabilities in place so they are addressing it but you know you can you can help yourself out by just being a little bit more vigilant and aware uh when you're doing a lot of these activities um i put i kind of put my answers in there uh, so there's there's different things you can do uh to start with password uh you can come up with a strategy that helps you helps you create passwords um phrase for instance a passphrase uh and 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 you customize that passphrase depending on the on the service that you are uh signing up for so the password has that generic component in it but then there is two or three or four specific components that are related to each one of those services so you will be you can easily remember these passwords but it's not it's not revealed to anyone so the, the, the secret here is the model, not the specific password. So if someone got that model from your brain, they can um, they can decrypt everything and, and get the password for so many services that you have. So the strength of that technique is the, the model is yours. So you don't reveal it and don't write it anywhere, but just follow it. And then your passwords will be strong all the time. Uh, use incognito uh that's a lightweight the lightest thing you can do uh, if you want to be secured track me not this is an extension uh, the idea is it, it will the your browser is going to visit so many websites so it will confuse the browser when it's collecting uh your behavior in terms of browsing so it will go to random websites so they put some noise in your browsing behavior and therefore the uh, you know the receiver will not know what you are actually visiting, um, and ten minute mail or email ten minute mail, yeah. So that's a service very very convenient. If you're signing up for a website that you don't want to give them your email, uh, go to this website so quick. You just it will give you right away a random email, and you will have a box, and that box will last for ten minutes, and it will. Um, not a box inbox and and you can extend that those 10 minutes for 10 more minutes or even more so you know when you receive that verification code it's, a, it's an app that you're not sure if you're going to use it or not you can rely on that you know get the verification code and then go sign up and then use it and then the email is a throwaway uh email because you're just trying it now so it's very convenient uh track me now so you try these different things from different angles and and uh, that helps you uh, you know helps your data to be secured. I use other services too. Uh, there's um, I forgot the name, but there's uh, service providers that could actually check for you whether your data is secured. You know, outside in that in the online world, so they do their measurements. So you pay uh, say one hundred bucks a year. And they'll give you a report to tell you what is your status when it comes to uh, privacy and security. Um, so yeah, those are some tips I hope that will help. I, I was throwing in the chat about uh, two-factor authentication just, just because like, I, I always thought it was a good one because they, I mean, even if they ask me something, then they need to have also my phone or I don't know. I thought it would be more difficult. And I mean, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm not famous. I don't have millions of dollars. Why do they spend that much, invest that much time to try to hack me, right? So if, if they make stuff more complicated by having multiple ways to, to access into account, I thought that was a good one. But I, it seems Arvin is more towards like just for important stuff, <laughs> super important stuff. Well, I use mine because this individual got into my bank account, changed the email, and, you know, so I have to add that extra layer. But what he didn't realize was he used a Yahoo email address, and I was able to backtrack that to send the request <laughs> to the phone number. 
I got his phone number, ran a reverse trace, and found the guy. And at that point, I had to give it over to the, the police and the FBI because, um, remember, rules of engagement, you know, can't do certain <laughs> things once once you're in. But uh, so, so yeah. moral of this whole conversation, if you're going to hack and do something illegal, don't do it to a cryptological officer. In the <laughs> Navy. Like, that's just your first well, thing. The, the FBI will find out, but... <laughs> If you, if you hit the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for this, this conversation, Arvin. And we, uh, this, this has been very insightful. And I know we can continue to, to talk about this for, for decades in the future. And, and I, hope, um, I hope we do, because I think conversations like this are important. And I hope our audience in, enjoyed it and, and might be a little bit more enlightened or just aware of, of what's going on from this one. Be sure to listen to this podcast as well. We previously did uh, a wonderful episode on AI, which we kind of touched on here. So that's up there. Uh, you can just go to, to the gateway and, and look at that stuff too. Um, and we'll be having more future events uh, in the new year, January, February, uh, March. So thank you all again for being here. Arvin, thank you so much. Biagio, my friend, it's always nice to hang out with you too. So everyone have a really good rest of the day. Be safe and, and see you next year. Take care. Thank you.